Well, someone start speaking, I think. Oh, right. We are recording. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Fitness Unfiltered, episode 20? 20. 20. Definitely 20. Um, We're calling, well, we don't know what we're calling this episode yet, but we decided to make it a bit about us because we haven't really had a debrief for a while. We've had lots of guests on. So, yeah, unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to about us. So, how are you, Mike? I think it's unfair to call that unfortunate. Well, we'll let the listeners decide after. We'll check. We'll check the view counts and see see whether it was a good thing or not. Oh, can we start again? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is brilliant. Um, okay, so what we did want to do like a recap of where everyone's at because yeah, we have had loads of guests on which have had like quite specific topics. Um, so I like I actually wanted to know what's going on with the boys, and I know that Mike has had a change of heart around his diet, and Dan is doing something absolutely incredible, which we haven't even really discussed on the podcast. So that is what we're going to be discussing today. So Dan, let's start with you. What are you doing? I kind of wanted to see the idea of leaving people in suspense to see what Dan is doing that is absolutely incredible. But that's well, my favourite part about the podcast so far is that everyone comments on, oh, that time Dan fell down the toilet. <laughs> that is my claim to fame. Yeah, Dan has contributed nothing, but he did fall down the toilet once. <laughs> I love that. Especially um, since you didn't actually fall down the toilet. No, I don't just recall. Yeah, there. just to clarify that, I don't recall from the toilet. Uh, I'm I'm dragging a sled. It's a multi-surface sled for 24 hours up and down the length of South End on Sea Seafront. <clears throat> to raise awareness uh, and some funding for the charity Calm, which is campaigning against living miserably, which raises awareness of the scarily increasing rise of male suicide, um, which is said to be the largest killer of men under 45 years at the moment. So they offer uh, advice with bereavement services, inspirational stories, uh, also a 24-hour hotline. And I guess it's part of that whole toxic masculinity movement in that, Geezers, lads, get on the beer, son. Don't really talk about stuff um, unless you're a little bit more of an open person or encouraged to. It's a lot of men just kind of get on with things and they feel they have to suffer in silence till they get to a point of desperation. And kind of my, my view of things have changed over the years. In that, for a lot of people, I think if you, if you don't think about things, it's the act in itself. A lot of people think of it's quite a selfish thing, but I think what's important to recognize is that when people are so desperately unhappy is that maybe they're not thinking rationally they're not thinking about the repercussions they're not thinking about the potential harm or consequences outside of what they want what they want to do they just want out and and that is that simple um so if yeah if, if doing something a little bit mental and quite physically demanding it encourages a few more guys to share their feelings share things when they're struggling a little bit more then i'm, I'm all for it but also I, I went with this because i felt it was a physical representation of what a lot of people go through in that it is this weight it is this burden that people carry with them and they feel they have to put on a brave face and just get on with it yeah so, i thought that was such a nice sort of um take on what you're doing is that like it is that representation of people carrying all this like weight but that's what it feels like. It's like, yeah. So I thought I tried to do it in a literal sense, and that um, 
Yeah, so I, I'm pulling a weighted sled, which is multi-surface sled, and due to the limitations with the council as well and potential damage using a prowler, uh, it, it's, this thing is called a tank, and it quite literally is a tank, but it's got magnetic resistance on it. You can act, uh, add external resistance as well. Tie it around your waist, attach it to your back, pull it, drag it, likely crawl with it at some point, I imagine. Um that's kind of the, the good thing about this. And I think with these big challenges is that there has to be a certain amount of naivety involved. Because if, if you understand the gravity of the task itself, and you're going to say the quote, I, I know it's on the tip of your tongue there, Mike, because I can't actually remember it. So you can fill that gap in in a moment. Go on. Um, well, it's a quote that came from um, Ross Edgley's Great British Swim, and it's uh, be naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish. Yeah, that's exactly that. Because... Um, the likelihood is if I understood everything involved, I may not do it, but uh, it's a great cause. It's something I feel especially quite passionate about. Um, so, yeah. What else would you like to know about it? The time in itself is is a challenge, is the biggest challenge with it, finding the time, because how do you train for a 24-hour event and work life, manage mm. work, responsibilities, etc. And all your colds as well. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah i'm um my immune system's taking a bashing i've never been so sick in the last five months since i started training so i'm likely getting something wrong somewhere or it's just a mass of stress that my body's just not used to but yeah i've had chest infection a permacold which is what i'm calling it because i haven't shaken a cold since i've started uh, i had a finger infection as well which was weird you hurt your back yeah, I hurt my back pretty bad. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting. And your doctor even told you that you looked terribly unwell, didn't she? Yeah, she had excellent bedside manner. Yeah, and it, it reminded me, actually, of when I was 15 and I went to the doctors about ingrown toenails. So here's a useless one for you. And um, my doctor wanted to weigh me as a result of going there about my toes and told me I was fat uh, at 15 stone at 15 years of age and I needed to lose weight. So she had fantastic bedside manner as well. Yeah, I think we've come a long way in um, in, in bedside manner. Um, it's it is yeah an interesting one. It's funny actually because I was um, slightly off topic speaking to a lady yesterday at the um, at an event that I spoke at, and we were talking about medications and how how medications are approached by doctors. And it you forget how important it is. It's not just about what you're doing; it's about how you do it. And what people don't always realise is that you know someone will go and see a doctor and you know 15 years later they might be they might remember that one sentence that that doctor said to them and and that's you know a, an incredibly important thing like and an, a real demonstration of the power of words and how we use them with people because if you if you get it wrong people are a lot more likely to remember if you if you get it wrong than if you get it right mm. This is yeah. true. And also, even just the effect of, like, the placebo effect almost, if you, the way that you manage a patient or speak to them or the emphasis you put on certain things can have a huge effect on mm. even how that medication is going to work for them or yeah. the even the likelihood of them actually taking it or sticking to the regime or, yeah, quite yeah. interesting. And it's hard to pitch trust, in terms yeah. of trust because you kind of think you almost you want to be really hopeful and encouraging when you're prescribing a treatment but if you're over hopeful and encouraging and you, you know if you go, oh, this will definitely work mm -hmm. um then they're more likely to to lose trust if it doesn't work and, and then the next time you give them something like well you said that last time didn't you you idiot mm. so yeah it's um 
a tricky one. I did a tangent, didn't I? I like. No, it. I thought it was very relevant. You're, no, exactly right. Promise. Right, Mike. I want to hear about in, how intuitive eating is going. Okay, right. Let's talk about intuitive eating. So. If anybody doesn't know, I've been doing a quote-unquote intuitive eating experiment um, over the last few months, uh, trying to, you know, get back in touch with my kind of hunger and satiety signals and, and, and give intuitive eating a bash. We've been hearing a lot about intuitive eating as a nutritional intervention for, you know, people who are chronic dieters, people who've been, you know, in calorie deficits and things for a long time and and tend to plan their eating around things like calories and rules rather than um, hunger and satiety, which are the natural things to plan your eating around. And the intuitive eating movement's been gaining a lot of momentum. You may have heard our podcast that we did with Alan Flanagan about it, who's been kind of overseeing my little experiment. Um, And now, I have decided that at the moment, intuitive eating isn't the right move for me. Uh, And the reason that I've decided that is not because I don't think intuitive eating is good. Actually, I've learned an awful lot doing intuitive eating. But the biggest thing that I've learned is that I haven't really been doing it properly. And and that's why I think I, I need to abandon it at the moment. Um, intuitive eating is a kind of weight neutral sort of intervention. So the focus isn't on fat loss. It's on kind of, you know, just, just you know, repairing relationships with food, getting in touch with hunger and satiety signals, eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. Now, the problems for me are twofold. They are effort and accountability. So it takes an awful lot of effort to eat intuitively because it's not a question of going, ooh, I'm hungry, fancy that, gonna eat it, like a lot of people think that it is. It's about having the urge to eat something and then processing all of your, you know, all of your kind of your feelings about it. So it's kind of like a bit like doing a kind of two or three minute meditation every time you want to eat and thinking, am I hungry? How hungry am I? How much do I want to eat? What type of food does my body need right now? Is that the best choice for me? Is this what I what my body actually wants or is this just what I think I want? Um, and do I need to eat now? Do I want to eat later? You know, am I am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Then there are lots of principles to intuitive eating and, and, and unfortunately because of the way that I've been doing things for so long and also because of how things are in my life at the moment with regards to you know work stress, life stress, family stress, everything else, it's quite it's quite a challenge for me to sit there for five minutes every time I want to eat and think about it that carefully and to be eating mindfully because often I just need to grab some food while I'm at work in the middle of a busy day or something like that. Um, and I'm not making excuses for that because I think that's totally doable. I think what I'm saying is I'm not really doing it. So intuitive eating has not failed as such, but I am sort of failing to do it correctly. And unfortunately, the result of that is that I have ended up um, putting on a fair amount of, of body fat, which is not something that sits comfortably with me at this present moment in time. Now, the other thing that I mentioned in terms of reasons that I've sort of decided to, that it's not work for me at the moment is the accountability side of things. So there is no accountability. There is no point in the day where you go, or oh, I'm I'm hungry, but actually I've eaten loads today. So I really need to, to, to rein that in that this is not cool. Um, whereas with calorie counting, 
you can make sure that you are in a calorie deficit or that you are at calorie maintenance overall. Um, and that is just, it's got that accountability. So at least you know in advance when you're going over calories. I'm not weighing myself. So the only way that I know that I'm putting on weight is when my clothes stop fitting me. And it, it's been, a, there's been a few things and it's I, like, I hate to get super personal about it, but there have just been a few behaviors that I've noticed in myself over the last few weeks that haven't sat comfortably with me and that have told me that, that I need to do something about it. And, you know, I, I've, I've lost a huge amount of weight. I feel so much better when I am, when I have been leaner, like in my health, in my confidence, in how I look, how my clothes feel, all of those things. And those things aren't to be underestimated. And that's not because people have ever told me that I'm too fat. Now, it's not because I'm ashamed of being overweight. It's just because of how I feel and what I think looks best and and feels best, sorry, I should say. And so I've been finding myself over the last few weeks wearing more hoodies, wearing more black, you know, doing things that make me feel like I'm not as confident as I was this time last year, for example, but, you know, thinking about, you know, how I feel taking my top off in a, you know, in, in a sort of situation at the, like we did, we did these ice baths at the gym and I felt pretty uncomfortable about the idea of taking my top off in, in front of people, which was, you know, I'm always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable about that anyway, because that's just where I'm at. But it was kind of the amount that I didn't really want to do it made me feel like, I don't, I, I need to kind of, I don't want to put loads of weight back on. I don't want to go back to where I was before because so much of everything is better mm-hmm. now than it was then. So I don't really, you know, and I know I would never tell people that they need to lose weight. I would never say that that everybody needs to be a certain level of leanness, but I think we've all got our comfort zone and where we feel comfortable. Um, and I never thought I would get to a place where I felt comfortable or confident and it, with my body and you can do that in two ways either by getting comfortable or confident where, with your body wherever it is which is probably the healthiest long term anyway but also by deciding what sort of body you want and and you know doing effort to achieve it and I think I you know that there are certain things that that people think are unhealthy about doing that but ultimately I would argue that that it's a very very individual choice and it's not for other people to make um and i have been talking for a very very long time uninterrupted so i should probably I, just stop a little bit for now i have some questions okay so i'm um, really interesting that you've done it and i like that you've like gone for it and actually tried it and you know now you've given it an, a long enough period of time so i remember after a few weeks you were like oh i'm not sure but it's actually been soon, right? it's been yeah a bit yeah and and if I'm honest, I feel like if I carried on doing it the way that I am now, I would ultimately end up losing weight and probably at the at the right shape. Like if I if I started to put more and more effort into actually doing it properly, I just at the moment it's a bit it's just it's it's got to a stage where it's a bit risky. And I think the mistake I made was starting it around Christmas time because I was starting it when I was at the upper limit of where I felt comfortable in terms of weight. So I didn't really have any kind of any physical leeway I think if I was starting it when I was at a comfortable place where I'm lean and I can I can quite happily put on three four kilos and still feel fine about it and then sit at that baseline then I think I probably would would have would have done better with it but I feel like it's not the end of the experiment by any means whatsoever I definitely want to give it because I think it is 
I mean, intuitive eating is the ultimate long-term goal at the end of the day. Nobody wants to track calories for the rest of their life. So that's where I want to get to. I just think I need I need to do a bit of a fat loss phase at the moment. And actually, I was talking to Alan about this. And he was mentioning that um, Eric Helms is actually currently undergoing like a fat loss phase, but using intuitive eating for fat loss, which is something that not very many people have, have really pushed forward because the whole point of the intuitive eating agenda is that it is fat like fat loss so would that be like intuitively leading leaving yourself slightly hungry i suppose yeah and and just what fat loss is the goal so if i end the day a little bit hungry then i'm probably on track yeah and i think at the end of the day like you know when you have been tracking for such a long time you probably know roughly where you're cut you know if you stick to similar sorts of foods you know you know what's a decent amount of food for the day as well so it's almost hard to put that out of your mind and eat fully intuitively because in my mind I'm like oh but you know I think I've eaten quite a lot more than I would normally today Mm. and actually what's been really interesting about intuitive eating is is the giving into your hunger and accepting that there are days when you want to eat more but then what would happen previously like if I overate over my calories on a day in the past I would often just go, oh, well, never mind. I did that today. I'll be back on it tomorrow. And I would eat the same amount the next day, like the norm, my, my calorie limit. But actually, a lot of times I've noticed recently when I've really eaten a lot one day, I don't have the desire to eat as much the next day. And so I'm actually eating less. And that is something that that is quite empowering because previously I would have definitely eaten an extra five or six hundred calories that oh, following really? day. So you wouldn't have thought, okay, I had 500 extra calories today, but I know that my weekly average is X amount. So tomorrow I'll eat 500 less or I'll eat 100 less for the next five days or something. No, because, Did you not- because YOLO. So I would always be... Oh, because yeah. YOLO. So understood. if I knew that I was going to overeat on a certain day, I would definitely do that in advance, but I didn't like paying for it retrospectively because I felt uh, like that's that, was, that was injustice. Yeah. I was like, I've already yeah, had the fun. I- I kind of agree with that. I'm like, if I know that the weekend's going to be big, like I might save calories. And yeah. sometimes you don't even like, quote unquote, like use all the calories that you save. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's and I not as did. fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as fun doing it the other way, no. is it? Like, no. oh, I ate too much on the weekend, so I'll cut back during the week. Mm, yeah, when I'm fun. at work and, and you know. Bored. I think yeah. there's a risk also with that is, is getting into that vicious cycle, which quite a lot of people do, is that if they feel they have to yeah, pay paying for it. it yeah yeah there's a lot of negative connotations attached to that so when yeah i exercise or less food through the week you really end up resenting that mm. do you know i, I often give like what would seem like contradicting advice to that because i'll be like look if you went mad on the weekend like the best thing to do is just to get straight back on track on the monday don't over restrict don't do anything like blah 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 and i can like that is the advice I'd give if you've like sort of accidentally gone way over your calories and you think, oh my God, let, I'll just try and do two hours of cardio and only eat like a thousand calories a day for the next That's like a really stupid thing to do. But at the same time, like I would give the advice, you know, if you've gone over your calories a bit, look at your weekly average instead of your daily average. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could, don't know, because those do, they do kind of contradict each other. But I think in my head, I'm like, look, if you've gone over by, say, 500 calories and you want to stay on track, there's no harm in cutting back over the next two days a little bit. But if you've gone way over, you've not tracked it and, you know, it's a lot, you just think, do you know what, cut your losses, get back on track and just, you know, it's not going to be that bad if you get initially back on track and just... Yeah, 
I mean, I, th- I think it, it depends entirely on your goals and on where you are psychologically. Because I think if you, it, it depends a lot on your relationship with food. Because, yeah, like Dan was saying, it is counterproductive to have that kind of, you know, paying for it mentality. But, you know, if you're if you're just, you know, wanting to lose a bit of weight, then that's very different to, you know, if you were preparing for a, a physique competition or, or doing something where you have to get to a certain weight for competitive reasons or something like that. So, you know, it, it, like there's a huge spectrum of reasons why you might be doing that. And I, I think something that I... I always I always really struggle with like the idea of saying you know like you should never everyone's everyone is very focused on telling people that they shouldn't feel ashamed by how much they eat and they shouldn't restrict it based on shame and all of that kind of stuff and I totally agree with that nobody should ever feel ashamed of themselves but also I don't think there's any glory in being like greedy you know there it is okay to say actually I don't need to eat all of that food that's too much. It's not good for me. I want to restrict the amount of food that I'm eating because this is the amount of calories that I need to function and function well. Um, and if I'm eating over those calories, it's probably not because of a reason of hunger. It's because of emotional reasons and all of those kinds of things. And, and that's, to me, that's as potentially psychologically damaging as restricting the amount of food that you're eating, if not more. I mean, I feel like you know a lot of a lot of with intuitive eating is, is is repairing your relationship with food i feel like i've made great grounds in my relationship with food by dieting and i know that that's a quite a controversial thing to say because there's a huge anti-diet movement there's a huge kind of movement of of people kind of who feel that dieting doesn't work it's not a long-term solution um and you know i think that depends on how you do it and it depends on why you do it and it yeah, depends I on your psychological stuff on... to begin with yeah like why are you starting are you starting because like you're saying this is a positive thing I know that I've been eating too much I know that my body would perform better if I restricted what I was eating and ate a little bit less lost a little bit of like the extra energy that I'm storing so like the extra fat that I have or are you coming at it from a place of I hate myself I don't like how my body looks like Mm. you know are you coming from a positive place or a negative place exactly and yeah and that's probably going to dictate a lot of your approach to dieting how successful it is Mm. Um, your mindset around it if you you, like you know some people develop sort of psychological issues around food and dieting when they diet and then that is sort of the basis of the whole anti-diet movement intuitive eating movement but I think if you're coming from a positive place and saying look like this is the situation I'm in but there's these things I can do to change it I know that's going to better me Mm. that is a positive thing and if you can look at, at weight loss as positive as opposed to a negative but and starting yeah, from that place the other thing is as well we've been exposed to diet culture since we were tiny it's, it's impossible to miss so it's we don't come across blank slates everyone's got their preconceptions of food everyone's got their different emotive things everyone's got their you know their, their moralizing terminology in some cases when it comes to food and it's it sounds like the cop-out but it's very inter-individual and it's very context specific because it's the advice we give ourselves is not often the advice we'd give to up, you know, to others as well. But especially when you said it, it's better to come from a positive place, but it's it's far easier to ingrain good new habits than undo previous preconceptions and bad habits or habits that aren't necessarily favouring people or benefiting them over time. So yeah, by telling them, you know, you said your relationship with food market, you've made great grounds for that. That's 37 years of 
preconceptions and habits you've already ingrained it's gonna it's gonna take time to do that so whether it's intuitive eating is something you come to at a later date that, that might very well be the case but if you need a little break for now that might be the best thing for you i still sort of struggle with this whole like that intuitive eating is like a defined thing it's, you know because i think and like inevitably what i think will happen with mike and what i think will happen with most people who have maybe track calories quite a lot is they'll do some kind of hybrid thing eventually and i'll end up working for them sometimes my track sometimes and what he's eating and he'll be more mindful about what he's eating but it won't be as sort of you know you won't be intuitive eating as what the definition is but you also won't be anally tracking calories all the time and there'll be some middle ground that is probably going to work best for you yeah we're sort of so fixated on like it has to be or like you've tried this intuitive eating you're going to go back to tracking calories like really the middle ground is probably going to be what works for you mm, exactly and it, and it's going to i think it's going to be you know dependent like I, I don't think it's going to be one thing all the time like you say like you know some days i'll probably track calories and some days i probably won't and some weeks and months etc you know there will be times when i think oh, actually you know my clothes are getting a little bit tighter and i don't want that so i'm going to go on a you know a bit of a fat loss like a gentle fat loss phase you know mm-hmm. it's not it's i'm no longer at a stage where i'm kind of di- trying to kind of do transformations it's just more like actually i'm trying to i'm trying to maintain and intuitive eating is probably the most sensible way of doing that but it involves a lot of work and a lot of effort and i think that it's it's almost it's at the moment for me it would be easier to just track my calories and just go and actually no you know that's that's too much or too little food and it's you know it's been it's i tell you what it has taught me it's taught me that you know the worst case scenario is me putting on a couple of kilos and actually that is not a bad worst case scenario it's taught me that whatever happens i don't think i'm going to go back to where i was Mm-hmm. you know so that's quite empowering in itself because it means that I don't you know I think there were times when I was tracking where I was a bit overly obsessive for sure in terms of but that was because I was trying to achieve something I was you know I was focused on trying to achieve a goal that I'd had for many many years that I hadn't achieved yet so you know so what if I didn't eat a pizza I don't remember the pizzas that I didn't eat when I was tracking calories I do remember that I went to wine tastings and drank diet coke and I had a great time because actually you know my point was and it, we we touched on this in the orthorexia episode a lot about people avoiding social occasions so that they wouldn't fail on their diet but I was quite insistent on not avoiding social occasions despite my diet. So I would go out for dinner with people and sometimes I took my own food, you know, and that's terrible. Like when you think about it, but it's much less terrible than sitting at home on your own, not going mm. out and seeing your friends because you're on a diet. Because actually I was quite linear in terms of in my focus because I felt that at that time for me, I had to be. I was making amazing progress. I was doing something that not a lot of people get to do. And you have to make some sacrifices when that is the case. I think that's a really good point you made as well there, Mike. So you obviously that's huge progress in the fact that you you said for the first time you felt you wouldn't revert back to your your former self. Mm. And I find, especially with people I work with, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Is that 
that is their greatest fear. So it's almost like a subconscious drive to then revert back to their yeah. previous selves. They find them like self-sabotage acts yeah. is that they're aimlessly at home eating on their own. And from that, I'm not talking about, as you said, like social occasions, actually enjoying the time out with friends and family. They're at home, they're wallowing, and it's doing something deliberately to... Yeah. So the fact that you can reflect on your little experiment and say, actually, you've got no worries about reverting back to your previous self, whether you're intuitively eating or not, I think that's massive. Yeah, Do I mean, you feel like your previous self was a different person? Like, I like to try and look at fat loss in like the most sort of logical, rational way. Like, you have some extra energy; it's stored as fat. If you want to lose that, you have the power to lose that. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change, you know, and it, and it might change who you are in the sense that I don't know. You discover you like exercise, and you discover different things about yourself, and you become more confident and things like that. But I like to try and keep like fat loss as it's nothing to do with you and the, the same with this whole sort of um I guess the anti-diet movement and the fat shaming thing like the reason that doctors etc want you to lose fat isn't got nothing to do with who you are or how you look it's because it's unhealthy to store that amount of fat and I think detaching that from yourself as in you're not fat you have fat mm, yeah is, an important thing and I wondered like do you but I know that you in some like you've sort of mentioned or alluded to that you feel like you've changed as a person a bit with this fat loss and do you think that's body confidence as a or body confidence but it's as a side effect of losing fat or a different circle of friends that you've surrounded yourself with or so I think actually it's um I haven't really changed as a person, I don't think particularly, and, and some of my friends might disagree with that. But in terms of like my, I tell you, what has changed globally is more like my mindset and my my world view and my view of how to to do things. That's changed for several reasons. It's changed because I've I've got older in that time. I've got more mature. I suppose I've seen more. You know, I've seen more things. I've I've worked more in you know general practice. So I've I've experienced more you know, like life experience. So I think that's changed as well. But um, what I always find really fascinating about it is that the, the bits of mindset that I have now and that I apply to, you know, training and and uh, diet and, you know, self-improvement and development and all that kind of stuff, I always had those things, but I only applied them very, very specifically to my academic life. So mm. I was always a determined, ambitious person who would like set out to achieve something and achieve it um but the difference was i thought that was only applicable to to you know to academia to to school studies to going to medical school to getting the job that i wanted and all of those sorts of things and then i think the realization that i made is that actually i am capable of applying those principles to to life as a whole not just to doing well at that so i think you know i i've become more positive generally i've become more kind of you know, more focused on, on mindset and all of that sort of stuff too. And that has, you know, that, that has been influenced by other people for sure, by people that I've surrounded myself with. Um, but that's not, I don't think that's been sort of so intentional. I think it's also been a byproduct of, of doing something really cool that I never thought I could do rather than just doing stuff that was really cool that I always knew I could do because everyone always told me I could. But actually taking something that I thought I was not capable of 
and doing really well at it is is hugely, mm. hugely empowering and makes you realise that you can do stuff. And I used to be, like, my whole humour was based around disdain and, like, I would just whinge about stuff. And I still do, massively. Really? Because that's changed so much. I know. <laughs> but I just complain less about some things and more about, like, you know, peeling onions and stuff. Like, I think that, you, yeah. that, that my personality traits are still all exactly the same as they were before. Um, I just eat less. Mm. And I don't make jokes about how much I eat as much. Yeah, like, I've noticed this. So I've been, like, trying to research a little bit more into, like, business things. And, like, when you listen to sort of business mentors in the same way that you would listen to, I don't know, fitness mentors or Mm. fitness people, like, they're speaking about the same things just with different examples but it it, like it's literally exactly the same it's all these like mindset things and how you create these habits and if you stick to something then you'll get results but you've got to start by trying you've got to put in the time and the effort and blah blah, blah. and it's you know all these things are how you get successful in anything in life Mm. and you can apply them to fat loss to diet you can apply them to your business you can apply them to medical school or your degree whatever it is but, you know, those foundations that have worked for you to be successful in whatever you do at the moment are the same things that will make you successful in your diet and exercise yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it, that, that people forget that you can apply, you know, I think everyone's got stuff that they're good at and therefore find it very easy to focus on, you know, if, if something that they're passionate about, they can be really super determined at. Um, but if it's not, then they find it much harder. And I think it's the realization that you can decide to be determined or passionate about anything. Um, and those things aren't mutually exclusive. Like I still love all of the things that I loved when I was overweight. I still, you know, I still like was still passionate about all of the other things. It wasn't like I've lost any, I haven't lost anything is, is kind of the point Mm. that I would want to make apart from Mm. a couple of friends. Well, yeah, no, yeah, you go down. No, I was just going to say, my, I, I guess my experience of being overweight to leaner was slightly different. I think it's largely not not I'm a different person as a result of losing body fat. It's just that developmentally, that was around a time in my life where a lot of change was going on anyway. So at the time, and even on reflection sometimes, it does feel like a separate lifetime because when I was heavier and there were negative things going on, I attribute a lot of negativity to being overweight Mm. and that was something I I struggled with for years is that you know almost I've been quite open with this is I lost all that weight and anytime I would you know a little bit of weight would come back on it'd be more than just gaining fat to me it was as silly as it sounds gaining negative negativity Mm. around me in other aspects you know draw up all those previous emotions Mm. And it's, it's taken me a long time to move away from that. But that's largely why I got involved in bodybuilding as well. Is, is I wrote a post about this this week is that I associated getting lean with being happier because mm. there was so much negativity surrounding me at a time when I was less than lean. Um, so I got into the sport for totally the wrong reason. Actually, on reflection, I was never a bodybuilder. It was never really muscle gain. It was just getting lean as possible, which was my focus. And... It's taken me a long time to let go of that. That being lean doesn't dictate how happy you are in life. There are a lot of other contributing factors, believe it or not. Mm. Quite to the contrary, a lot of the time. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. I think, but but by contrast as well, it's so important to remember that eating whatever you want at any time also doesn't make you happy. You know, yeah, like smashing a load of biscuits that you don't need. Like you don't, 
if you're eating to chase that happiness then that's you've got to you've got to find other things that are going to make you happy because there are other things that can give you that that dopamine response and 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 not cause you harm in the process but it yeah. depends like like this is you know the issue is is it depends like this is not a universal message because it depends how healthy you are how overweight you are and how much you don't want to be or how much it bothers you you know like and i think you know we saw um I went to that intuitive eating talk and um, and the, the, this Danish comedian, Sophie Hagen, really, really interesting to listen to. And she was talking about saying that she felt that at the moment, at the weight that she was at, so she was, she was overweight, and she felt that at the weight that she was at, she was at the healthiest that it was possible for her to ever be because she was taking into account mental health and physical health. And she felt that by dieting, she was having a negative impact on her mental health because it was making her feel obsessive and feel you know feel a certain way and, I, and I, I think that some people do feel like that I think some people have that but not everybody does so I don't think that I ever felt mentally unhealthy when I was on a diet I felt like you know it, I, I really and I actually enjoyed the whole process and, and came out of it I think you know much happier but I also have to accept that there are some people for whom that is not the case and any form of dieting can actually be in some ways damaging to their mental health. The difficulty is, is we are as humans very susceptible to wanting to make excuses and not wanting to do things that are difficult. And there probably were many points when I was dieting where I could have said, oh yeah, maybe this isn't good for my mental health. Maybe I should stop. Now, I don't know what everybody's individual story is, but I think we are very good at telling ourselves stories that we want to hear. And that would be my only caveat to that. Now, I don't know her background in terms of how severely it did affect her mental health. And it, it, by the sounds of things, it, like you know, it sounded like it did. So I would never question somebody else saying that it did. But I would be very wary in myself of going, oh, do you know what, actually, this is having a, a negative impact on my mental health, so I'm going to eat burgers instead. But actually, in reality, eating all of those burgers probably had a far more negative um, negative effect on my mental health than being on a diet. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, it, yeah, an interesting an interesting one, because you can't really say anything about someone else's mental health. Exactly, but it's such a personal no. thing, and that's why it's so yeah. important that, that, it, that it is made clear that it is possible to have your mental health affected ad adversely, but you have to be the one to decide whether that is the case or not, and whether it's whether it's whether it is you know better for you to to mm -hmm. try and lose weight or not. It's it's such but a personal. A, I mean, I think it again depends on where you're your perception of that diet is coming from like is this like I have to be on this yeah, diet exactly. because blah 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 and I need to be you know I'm not good enough as I am so I need to diet or are you like okay actually I'm a little bit overweight storing a bit too much energy let's see how I can reduce that in the easiest way yeah. possible for me because we all know that the best diet is the one you can stick to so what's the one that's going to make you feel least restrictive maybe it's just putting a few simple rules in place maybe it's halving your carbohydrate portion and replacing it with veg and like just having instead of thinking do you know what for me anally tracking everything is detrimental to my mental health but if I just make some of these easy swaps then I wouldn't notice as much that I was dieting yeah I'll lose a little body bit of body fat I'm not putting too much pressure on myself I'm not putting a specific weight um, and that's an easier approach for someone yeah but I think there's a huge difference as well between you know, rigidly dieting to get down to a lean physique and just be 
you know, there's a huge difference there. And I think anyone should be able to be a healthy weight and have good mental health. You know, you're not taking your body to the extremes. Mm. It could just be as simple as making some good swaps, putting in some good routines in there, trying to change some of your poorer routines, replace them with better ones. And, and that's about education as well, because I think I think that's the, the, the biggest problem with the diet culture is that, like, let's say if, if somebody is, is morbidly obese and they, they want to go on a diet, everyone's telling them to do it in a way that, that probably, you know, would be negative for their mental yeah. health. Whereas if I they were just exactly making simple it, like, changes. I would question that that woman has probably tried very restrictive diets that weren't suited to her and didn't fit her lifestyle and made her feel extremely restrictive or restricted Potentially, yeah. and that maybe a better approach for her would have enabled her to lose weight without having a negative effect on her mental health and if anything coming at it from a positive place being like oh actually I'm doing something positive for myself and my body mm. should improve her mental health yeah um but now it seems like she's got that message and maybe she feels she needs to stick to that message as well yeah. because you're then put in that position of being sort of like anti-diet and then if you change your mind I don't know well now it's like if it's your whole identity if you've written a you know as well if you've if you've written a book about it if you if you mm-hmm. you know you're you're speaking to, to people about it and it's like even you know in some ways I felt like that for myself like I felt when I was kind of changing to intuitive eating I was like is this going to be you know are people going to think that I've you know are people still going to believe what I say about dieting because I'm not dieting you know like I think everyone because we all end up tying some level of identity to to where we're at um, and it's the same for you know I think when people are overweight they often tie a lot of identity to it which is why it's hard to change and then when you become you know the person who lost loads of weight then there's a lot of fear in in not being the person who lost loads of weight anymore because you what you don't want to then become or what I don't want to become is the person that lost loads of weight and then put it all back on you know, and, and as much like as like every statistic, yeah, and as much as I don't want to admit it, that's that's a, that is a big aspect of of it as well. And maybe I'm, you know, in the same way that we were talking about people telling themselves stories, maybe I'm telling myself that story. Maybe because, like, rather than saying like I, you know, I'm saying I feel uncomfortable putting on weight and wearing more hoodies and stuff. Maybe that's because of other people. I don't know, but I have no way of knowing. Or, and I certainly don't think that by maintaining this weight. I'm going to be having a negative impact on my mental health. So I just feel like that's the best thing to try and do is to try and just be as healthy as possible. And that is a great way to finish this podcast. Excellent. How long have we been recording? 42 minutes. I think that's our longest like solo podcast. Can I just unashamedly just say if anyone wants to find out more about the challenge for me, they can find details on my Instagram page. Um, there's a Just Giving page that does have a little bit more detail on there. Also outlines what the, the charity does as well. Yes. And if anyone obviously also wants to come down and support your endeavour to South End Seafront, what date is it on? It's on the 10th of April, which is a Wednesday, which seems a really, really odd day to do it. But people go out on a Thursday night, people go out on a Friday night, and Saturdays are super busy. And if you've ever walked up or down South End Seafront, it's quite exciting on a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, walking past two casinos, uh, a bowling alley, and the but Wednesday night student night. Yeah, I don't really think even the South End students go out in South End though. All oh, right, all right oh, then. Gosh. But I just had to find somewhere that was really long and flat, and that seemed like a good, good, good idea at the time. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Yeah. 
In fact, I'm going to book my travel when we hang up. You don't have to come and watch. You can you can support me digitally. I know I don't have to. Oh, I didn't realise we didn't have to. Then in that case, I'm not coming. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. I'm going to come. <laughs> but I am working on Wednesday. So anyway, we can talk about this outside of our podcast. <laughs> everybody needs to hear us making our plans. Okay, should we just call this episode tangent? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording now. Bye guys. Okay, bye. Rate, download, etc. Blah blah blah. Bye.